0: How's it going, everybody? And welcome to episode 125 of Master My Garden podcast. Now, this week's episode is a very exciting one, and joined from the US by Dr. Elaine Ingham who is um, her, I suppose, her her research and her teachings are, I suppose, to the forefront of soil and soil microbiology, and known all around the world. And I suppose, from a gardener's perspective, this being a garden podcast, soil to me has been sort of I think neglected a little bit over the last number of years and there seems to be a move over the last maybe four or five years back towards actually looking at the soil as a really vital component of our gardens and I think the same is probably true obviously on a bigger scale for agriculture so there's a lot here and for me personally this is a really interesting episode and I'm really looking forward to getting into it so Elaine you're very very welcome to Master My Garden podcast.
1: Oh, no, glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, uh, it's my favorite topic to talk about, and I can talk about it for a very long. Well, I've been talking about it for the last 45 years. Wow. Um, so it's been a while. Um, taking things from, uh, like when I was uh, working on my, starting my math, my PhD work at Colorado State University, my major professor sent me off to all of the soils people, you know, uh, landscape, landscape. Um, You know, hydroponics, aquaponics, um, the agronomy department, the soil science department. Go talk to all of the professors that work with soil. And so I did. I went out and told them about my project and, uh, you know, what did they think about it? Um, I was trying to um, find out what fungi really did in the soil. Um, You know, we knew a bit of information about mycorrhizal fungi at the time, uh, 45 years ago. Uh, and but you know it was um, uh, not something that anybody really thought was important. Every mm-hmm. one of those professors looked at me after I got finished and said, "Oh no, don't don't do that. That won't work for your degree. You're not going to be able to get a job when you get right. finished with uh, with your PhD because the organisms in soil aren't important. They don't do anything. They're just like there." And I, you know, kind of shook my head and and sat back and went, wait a minute. Bacteria have been on this planet for the last 4 billion years. Um, Fungi have been around for 3.5 billion years. If Mother Nature saw no use for those organisms, they'd be long gone. But she's held on to them. They're, They're part of every ecosystem when we start understanding what's really going on. And so how can you say that these organisms are of no use? Uh, They don't do anything for your plant. And what we've discovered over the last 45 years is that they do everything for your plant. And we have to completely change our understanding of how soil works in order to understand Mother Nature and be able to work with nature instead of against. Because if we're fighting Mother Nature, who's going to win that one?
0: Yeah, it's
1: Mother Nature. Yeah,
0: and is that so? That was the when you went to your professors at the start. They actually, it wasn't a case of not understanding. They actually taught that a lot of these, you know, bacteria, fungi didn't have any function. Yeah, that was that was the thinking.
1: That was the thinking. They were just totally. Uh, they're not important. They just come back into the soil, just you know, like uh, overnight, and magically repopulate. And they don't really do anything. Whereas wow. if when you sit down and start looking at where did that nitrogen molecule originate from, and you follow it through the biology into the plant, and the plant into a seed or fruit for us to eat, or you know, fodder for our animals to consume. Those microorganisms are all important. We wouldn't okay. survive without them.
0: So I'm not a microbiologist. Um, I'm a gardener who has, I suppose, seen and felt over the last number of years that we weren't possibly doing things right. And gathered evidence from very, very good gardeners and looking at what the likes of you are doing. and you know, other people who are practicing no dig. And you start to see a tread of, I suppose for me, a thread of tangible evidence, not based in, in microbiology, because I, I'm not a microbiologist, but I start to see a tread of evidence that suggests we have been doing it totally wrong. But if you could explain to us, you know, in sort of simple microbiology terms, what exactly is happening in the soil? And, and then how does that filter up and how, why is it important?
1: And, um... Uh, there's seven overarching principles that we like to talk to people about um, when it comes to the microorganisms. And, you know, probably one of the most important factors is that without these organisms in the soil, your plant can't get the nutrients that are in that soil. They're present, but they're present in a not plant available form. Well, when you think of it from mother nature's point of view, She doesn't want to have all those nutrients in a soluble form that the plant can easily take up all the time, because then every time it rains, most of those nutrients would be washed out of the soil. So you want just enough soluble nutrients to be given to your plant or presented to your plant so it can take up what it needs, but not so much that we can't hold on to them Once you get a little bit of rain or the snow melts or, you know, some other movement of water through your soil, um, it would be a catastrophe. Well, it's exactly the catastrophe that we have performed on ourselves uh, as human beings, where we put in massive quantities, you know, 400 pounds or, you know, I'm not sure quite what that is in, um, you know, in in kilos, but hopefully you can convert it. 400 pounds of nitrogen is a typical application in the United States, at least, um, in order to grow corn or any of the vegetables, things like that. And most of that nutrient, that soluble nutrient, the inorganic fertilizer that's added into the soil, 80% of that's gonna get washed away. Never make it into your plant roots. Because the you have to put such a massive amount of those inorganic fertilizers into the system in order for enough contact with your plant roots that your plant roots will take that up. What a horribly inefficient system! We are destroying um, all of the reefs around the world. Um, how are we gonna? How are we gonna manage to uh, manage? our c o two levels anytime, once we've destroyed those reefs, once we've destroyed our um, liquid um, conditions, you know uh, rivers and lakes and streams, things like that are being totally hammered. It's almost impossible to find good clean drinking water in the United States because they're, well, so we can go on and on about the what we've done, but you know we need to turn this around. And that means not putting on inorganic fertilizers, because that is not the proper form to hold and keep those nutrients in the soil. Well, what's the right way to do it? Well, your sands, your silts, your clays, your rocks, your pebbles, those are a good place to hold on to those nutrients. We want those soluble nutrients to be converted into not soluble nutrients whenever your plant doesn't take up what it needs, or it takes up all it needs doesn't need anymore. Now, what do you do with the extra soluble nutrients? Well, that's also what bacteria and fungi are there for. They're going to slurp up whatever the plant doesn't take. And then the plant's going to put out exudates to let those bacteria and fungi around the root system of the plant. Those exudates, you know, what's an exudate? It's simple sugar, protein, and carbohydrate, it's kind of like a peanut butter sandwich, you know, <laughs> uh, a grilled cheese, whatever, you know, a little bit of a salad with dressing on it of some sort. And so um, those soluble nutrients can be taken up by the plant, What they don't need the bacteria and fungi take up. And then the plant puts out more exudates to tell the bacterium fungi exactly what mineral nutrients the plant still needs. And so those bacterium fungi go, oh, now the root system needs more uh, cobalt. It needs more iodine. It needs more whatever nutrient it needs. And that information is conveyed to the bacterium fungi. They make the enzyme that will pull those nutrients out of the sand, soil, clays, rocks, pebbles, organic material that's in the soil, plant unavailable forms pulled out of their holding place into the bacteria and the fungi. So those nutrients are not going to run away. They're not going to be leached out. They're not going to erode down the hill. They're going to be held in place by the bacterium fungal biomass. When you get a lot of those bacterium fungi growing, it attracts the predators in the system. So bacterial predators are protozoa, for example, bacterial feeding nematodes, Um, A lot of the microarthropods will eat bacteria as well as fungi. So those are the bacterial predators. How about the fungal predators? Those are the fungal feeding nematodes and the fungal feeding microarthropods. Earthworms, enchatryids, they also eat both bacteria and fungi. So that they're coming in and now eating part of the bacterial and fungal community that it can catch. And when it's eating, it's getting all the nutrients from inside those bacteria and fungi. But those nutrients will always be in excess of what the predators need. If those predators try to keep all of those, that concentration of nutrients inside their body, it would kill them. So, of course, what do they do? They poop it out. So you can see why we call this the poop loop. Yeah. Because it, this uh, this guy gets, eats those guys, this guy poops out what it um, doesn't need. And that's exactly the form that your plant needs in order to be able to take it up without having to use any energy, without having to set up a diffusion gradient from, you know, four feet away or, uh, you know, 50 centimeters away, whatever. Yeah. Um, so the plant gets everything it needs every second of every day. That plant is getting the nutrition that it requires in order to be healthy. That's what this food web below ground is supposed to be doing. So the plant grows healthy. So the plant puts out an exudate. The next time it runs into, uh, you know, its its growth is being limited by a lack of, you know, fill in the blank: phosphate, potassium, magnesium, calcium, and that. New, that um, message going to your bacteria and fungi, they make the enzymes to pull those nutrients out of the place they were stored in the structure of the soil. And then when those bacteria and fungi get eaten by protozoa or uh, the predators in the system, the whole group, um, that releases nutrients in a plant available form, plant grows better. So who's in control? Of how much nutrient is present around the root system of the plant. Well, the plant's in control of that, not anybody else. The plant has to have the working parts present in that soil in order that this works. And yet when we put on, when human beings put on inorganic fertilizers, those are all salts. Every single one of those are salts. They Dissolve when they're in water. They're soluble. And so that means that high concentration of salt is taking water away from your plant, from your organisms, from all those critters in the soil. And the smallest critters are going to be killed first. So say goodbye to your fungi, say goodbye to your protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods. We just destroyed the whole nutrient cycling system that Mother Nature put together where you and I don't have to go out there and apply anything. Once that biology is in place, it maintains itself. You don't have to go out and put on toxic chemicals, inorganic fertilizers. Well, when you put on inorganic fertilizers, you're only supplying one nutrient. Does your plant just need one nutrient to grow? No, it needs all of them. So, you know, bacteria, you need the uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, magnesium, calcium, sodium, zinc, iron, bio- the whole list of some, I don't know, it depends on which botanist you talk to, but we're up to, you know, 45 or 48 essential nutrients for your plant to grow. And if you're supplying just one, you're over feeding one thing, but you can't make yield if you don't have all of the nutrients. So we're destroying the very system that should be providing those nutrients. So if the plant is not getting the nutrients that it requires, that means the plant's immune system can't work. For years, we argued in the botanical or, you know, in, in the plant world of scientists, we argued about plants don't have immune systems. Well, no, they, that's right. If you have destroyed the system, if you've um, made it impossible for that plant's immune system to work because you're destroying the microorganisms that make it work by making certain the plant has all the nutrients it needs, of course, you're not going to see any plants with immune systems. As soon as you start feeding that plant every nutrient it needs every second of every day, Now you see the immune system starting to function. The disease-causing organisms won't go near those plants. Their cell wall structure is too good, too wonderful. So that's another very important part of getting this biology back into your soil is your plants are not subject to any of the fungal diseases, any of the bacterial diseases. It won't attract root-feeding nematodes. You don't have the insect problems. Because the insects home in on plants that are putting out volatile compounds. It can't help but put out those volatile compounds because it's not healthy. It's a sick plant. It attracts the insect pests and problems because Mother Nature's way of getting rid of plants that are too weak is to wipe them out with the insects. Well, so why are they so weak? Because they're not getting the nutrients in their soil so you you see how that's so yeah. important.
0: This the, the, yeah this is makes total sense. Uh, it, firstly, it sounds like just to take a step back, it sounds like a super uh, sophisticated communication system that's going on here, with what sounds like many components, all of which are important in in some way, shape, or form to the whole overall system, which in itself is mind mind boggling. Um, I suppose when you start to take it back to what your last point was about plant health and and I've said it you know repeatedly on on the podcast in relation to gardening that plant health is critically important and it's funny when you say about uh, on the face of it some plants look healthy so if you go into a garden center a plant who ha- that has been quite well fed with artificial nutrients in order for it to look good on the on the shop floor on the face of it looks like a healthy plant but in reality that plant can be very very and is very very vulnerable when it gets to its location mostly your garden and and those plants can typically pick up disease and and pests very very quickly and True, no, again, not because I have any microbiology experience, but there is 100% um, a plant immune system that seems to work. And I suppose a, a basic example of that that I have myself, my tomatoes last year, I used some, some blight resistant varieties and some non-blight resistant varieties. But when I was planting them out into the polytunnel, I used mycorrhizal fungi. Now, I'm not saying my soil was fully perfect, but it was certainly heading in the right direction. And the uh, mycorrhizal fungi that I added at planting time, I had so little need for water, particularly at the later stages, uh, once the mycorrhizal got to develop. But the one thing that was very noticeable was the plant health. At no stage, even in a very high blight season, did I have anything that resembled blight on, Mm. on the tomatoes. And that, to me again it's a very basic thing by comparison to the analysis and you know microbiology that you're doing but it tells me that there is there is basically an immune system in in the plants and if it's working well then everything else you know it's able to fight off everything else basically
1: yep absolutely it it is an immune system and when it's working well it works very well but mm-hmm. if it doesn't have the constituent parts being delivered so it can make that immune system operate, then that plant is going to be susceptible to every disease, every pest that comes along because mother nature wants those pests to do their jobs, which is to take out the weak, unhealthy, unhappy plants, the things that you and I should not be eating the, you know, whatever fruit, whatever seed, whatever you're growing that plant for you're not going to get the nutrients out of it. So how do we as human beings know that that's a sick, unhealthy plant? Well, you know, let the insect pests and the diseases and stuff take out the bad guy. Well, except that's going to be your whole crop. Once disease gets started in a system like we grow our crop plants in, you you know, even really healthy plants may succumb. So we need to be starting work on providing that, immune system, everything it needs right from the very beginning of that plant. If that plant is put into um, a system where there is no life, they've autoclaved the potting soil. It, it's not soil at all because the definition of soil requires three things. You have to have sand, silt, and clay, the mineral component, rocks, pebbles, things like that. You have to have organic matter in the system in order to feed the organisms: bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods. Yada yada yada. You've you've got to have all those things in true soil, and then you'll start seeing the things you and I are talking about—that immunity. You'll see that um, the plant grows to its. And I love the the uh, the words that you know. You know these scientists say. Um, they grow to their genetic potential. <laughs> is that, does that sound fancy? Ooh. Um, so I hope everybody at home is giggling away too, because it's just kind of, well, we want the, the plants growing with as much um, vigor, flavor. What is flavor? What causes flavor? It's the nutrients of the bacteria and fungi, protozoa, and nematodes have cycled so the plant can take it up and put it into your fruit. You know, your tomatoes taste, whoa, wow, that's the taste of a tomato. You know, but I see kids at school where, you know, they take a bite of a tomato and they just kind of go, ah, yeah, that's a tomato, no big deal. You mm-hmm. give them a really good, healthy tomato, they take a bite and they kind of go, whoa, yeah. that's a tomato like I've never tasted before. Mm-hmm. But they know, they've never had a good tomato before in their life, but they know they just hit one based on the flavor. Yeah. So we want our gardens to be that way. So people coming to enjoy the fruits of your labor are impressed with how amazingly delicious your fruit your produce taste. Um that for me is the real, you know, the putting the dot on the top of the eye. Perfect.
0: And um, in terms of in terms of gardening, so assuming that that people and and there is a transition now where people are starting to become aware of the importance of of having healthy soil and and soil you know having the soil biome and all that working correctly but it, most gardeners are not coming at it like myself from any sort of scientific background so how do how does somebody go about you know improving their soil um making their soil healthy and getting this this soil food web communicating and working the way that you know that it should the way that it was designed originally to do
1: um probably the easiest way to learn about all of this is to take some of our foundation courses it's all virtual online you can take the classes at your own speed um you know we've had people take all of the foundation courses in about two weeks Um, You know, and we we talk about the seven overarching principles, the ability to sequester carbon in the soil. You want to have carbon credits? We'll tell you how to do that. Um, You want to make certain that you've got the nutrient cycling going, so your plant, you know, so how do you detect that? Um, We teach you how to make the compost that will put these organisms back into the soil. So you want to be making a compost or you want a friend of yours making compost so that it's all the beneficial organisms. That means that compost has to stay aerobic the whole entire time. It cannot go anaerobic because that's where the diseases and the pests and the um, problem organisms, that's where they hang out in the anaerobic parts of your pile. So don't let it go ana- anaerobic, and so we teach you how to turn the pile correctly, so that you're going to be getting the um, organisms into that hot middle of the pile, so you're killing the pathogens and pests, and making sure it's not going anaerobic. What if you do start detecting some of the anaerobic smells? So this is how complicated we get. What do you smell? So we teach you how to do that. We teach you how to make a compost extract. We um, teach you how to make the compost teas. The extracts usually go into the soil because we want things moving into the soil. Well, what if you've got compaction layers? We got to work on those first. So, we may, you know, when do you have to go out and inject this biology into your soil? You're going to use a compost extract in in order to do that where you've just basically... You know, using massage kind of techniques, you massage the organisms off the surfaces of the compost and into the water. Or we make compost tea, where we take that extract, we add foods, and now we're going to have a brewer where that can uh, brew, the microorganisms can grow um, in that, um, using that food um, for 24 hours, and then we apply it to the above ground part of your plant. If you've never put the biology back onto the organisms in your above ground, you probably do have things, that, especially the fungal diseases are rampant. If you don't get the proper predators back on those leaf surfaces, you want the competitive things, things that will consume those disease-causing organisms, that will uh, make a little bit of an antibiotic just in this sphere on the, that leaf surface. So all of those factors work together to prevent diseases happening above ground. What you'll notice is the first year you may have to spray a number of times. You know, I'm like maybe three or four times. You might have to spray to deal with where the disease-causing organisms are really settled in. They'll fight back, but you keep applying the compost tea, and that you will you will probably win maybe with four applications. Well, you know, when you think about insecticides or pesticides, all those things we spray toxic chemicals above ground, these days you've got to spray like once a week in order to control things. And, And that's expensive. That's a lot of your time to be doing all of that. When you start getting the biology back into the system, the biology does the work. You've put back into the system... The workers that are supposed to do that work, human beings aren't supposed to do that work. We're supposed to overview the system and say, oops, that we better put more bacteria in there. We better put more fungi or we should um, grow some more protozoa or nematodes and, and get this all balanced so that your plants thrive. Instead of you having to do all the work, the microorganisms in the soil and on the leaf surfaces do that work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um- I, I've about 10 questions here I'm not sure which one to start with but mm-hmm. um, so if we're in a situation uh, and I've watched the Netflix that, uh, documentary what's that one uh, kiss the ground or kiss the earth kiss um, the ground Yeah. and I know it's a, I know it's a documentary and I know it's there's probably elements of it uh, being on Netflix and whatnot there's probably elements of it that are I don't know dramatized or whatever um, but we see soils on certain farms where they're just literally dust and desert and unworkable. Uh-huh. Are, are farms like that? Is land like that? Is soil like that uh, retrievable? Or yes. is it, a, yes. Absolutely. So, uh, is, it, is it starting with the same principles? So start getting organic matter back in and.
1: To do it as rapidly as possible, you want to make compost that has all the beneficial organisms in it. And you're going to really want to take some samples out of that compost pile and look and make sure that you're getting just the good guys. Now, we, we can teach you that in the foundation course number four. We teach people how to use simple microscopes. They're not fancy. You know, the cost of the microscope is maybe $300, $400 um, max. And you can do your own looking. Uh, do I have bacteria in here? Do I have lots or do I have just a few? You know, do I have good guy fungi, lots or just a few? Um, go through the whole food web and do that. Or we've been training people to start their own businesses to do that kind of work for other people. So it, when you start looking through most parts of the world, there are people you can send Um, The samples too, they'll get to them in a day, maybe two. And when those samples arrive, those people do the microscopy for you and let you know what exactly that um, you've got in your soil. And is that a high level or a median level or a low level? It's, you know, you want things right in the correct balance. Um, If you go through uh, the foundation courses, we talk about what different kinds of plants need in their root system to be maximally healthy and so you're trying to reach those levels dependent on what kind of plant you're trying to grow you know all microorganisms do not do the trick for all plants different plants are going to be different and you can very easily learn that from a consultant you know so we have people we treat we have um, trained as consultants so that you can call them up or you can invite them to come out to your property, take a look at it, you know, so that they can start helping you understand what's going on in the soil, on the leaf surfaces, in your flowers, in the uh, buds, all of that, Um, all seven overarching principles. For example, if you have a problem with weeds, that's Mother Nature trying to tell you, that something's terribly wrong in your soil and you need to fix it. Well, exactly what? It's, you know, mother nature is like, "Come on, tell me the whole story." You're going to have to take a microscope and figure it out what's lacking in that soil. It, you know, it only takes a couple of, you know, when you get when you get comfortable with the microscope, it only takes you maybe 5 or 10 minutes. To get the microscope prepared, get on the slide, look through there and go, oh, I I have no fungi. None of the good guy fungi are present, or whoops, what happened to all the nematodes? You know, last time I looked at this soil, I could see a nematode in every field. There's nobody home. Well, what killed those organisms in your soil? Was there drift? Was there something that you applied and you didn't realize? So you can have a, a good control. Um, very easy rapid to do if you don't want to do it send it off to your soil lab uh, the microbial soil lab so that those people can call you up or chat with you about what they saw so you know when something's missing you know when something's going wrong long before you've got dead plants Um, so all those good things Um, come and look at our website um, soilfoodweb.com we've got you know, great pieces, ways of expressing this information. So the watch the animations, the cartoons; those yeah. are gorgeous. They, you know, really well depicted and and short, sweet, and to the point. We don't talk to the um, academic world with what we're trying to do because it's everybody has to be growing their own food, at least in some amount. If you've got a backyard. If you've got, um, you know, a, a balcony where you can put a couple tomato plants out there or, you know, whatever you want to eat, um, grow it yourself so you know how to do that if and when that's going to be extremely necessary in all of our lives.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, there's a couple of things. The 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 seven overarching principles, you've mentioned those a couple of times. What are they without going into them and, in, you know, because I'm sure there's great detail on them all, but what are the seven overarching principles?
1: So cycling nutrients. So your plant has everything that it needs holding on to nutrients. So they don't leach out of the system. They don't end up in the rivers and lakes and streams and destroy water quality all the way along. Um, We want to make certain that we've got the organisms that build structure in the soil. And that is the only thing that really truly builds structure in your soil that is sustainable long-term. Bacteria glue things together, fungi bind things together, and that's the basis of having water infiltrate into your soil, going way deep. Um, they will that water will fill all the pores in that soil, the structure that's built by the bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes doing their things. There are large cavities that need to fill up with water. So now in the hot, dry summertime, the root systems of your plants can get down to that water. Um, When we see um, wildfires in the western part of the United States, um, and we've been working with somebody on their property to get the biology back into the system, build that structure in the soil, make sure the trees, the bushes, the veggies are all well watered because they've got their root systems in that water and the wildfire goes around their farm doesn't touch what's going on in the farm because all your plants have lots of water in them it's when those plants are dead dry and the temperatures are extremely hot the fire just races through and obliterates everything it's kind of it's very scary So you want that water back into the system held in the soil. Whatever snow melt, whatever rainfall, you want to hold on to it, not lose it into the rivers, lakes, and streams. Uh, What else? Um, I talked about carbon sequestration. We make certain that any toxic chemicals that are produced in anaerobic places, um, any diseases that are being promoted in those anaerobic places um will be very rapidly wiped out by our beneficial organisms as we add them into the soil. So I I've forgotten one or two um, but yeah. uh, uh, of those, so but those are those are the main highlights and and you can see that if if everybody started composting, where they were holding on to their carbon in that composting operation and not letting it blow off as CO2, then if everybody around the world start, started doing this correctly, using this compost in their garden beds, growing their own food and keeping most of the carbon in that soil, we could reduce the uh, elevated CO2 in the atmosphere back to pre-industrial levels in somewhere around six to 10
0: years. Oh, well, that, that quick. That quick. Well, but
1: you, we got to stop killing all of the organisms in the soil that do all of this work for us. If we're putting on inorganic fertilizers, if we're putting out pesticides, so we got to we got to stop that, and we've got to get all that carbon back into the soil from whence it came.
0: I I suppose this is something that you would have come across. I've sort of two questions now um, with this. I'm sure. It has been said to you on, on numerous occasions, but how do we feed the world's population? I, I, I'm, have you heard that one before?
1: Oh, just a few times because <laughs> we increase yields. When, when you're working with nature instead of fighting with her, now things become easy. You can reach the genetic potential of your plant. Yeah, and point. instead of having a corn stalk that only has one ear on it, you can have a corn stalk that has five ears on it. That's how many ears that plant is genetically capable of producing. And yet we don't reach that goal at all. We don't even come close anymore. When we talk about corn, wheat, barley, um, any of the row crops, any of the vegetables, we're not coming even close in toxic chemical agriculture. To reaching the genetic potential p- potential of those plants, yep. you know, you've got to put on six tons of lime and three and a half or uh, a half a ton of gypsum um, in order to uh, um, get space into your soil. Well, how long does that last? Uh, about two weeks, and then all of that's washing downstream. How long? You know, that was an expensive amount of inorganic fertilizer in the form of lime and gypsum to put on to try to get soil structure rebuilt. It can't do it. Now, get some bacteria, fungi, protozoan, nematodes in there, and they can start doing that work for you in the next 24 hours. They'll start, and hopefully we can get that process finished within one growing season. There have been cases where a totally compacted soil. You try to push a metal rod into the soil and it goes down this far. And people think that's normal. Your root systems of most of your veggies and most of your row crops should be down at 10 to 15 feet, not centimeters. We're talking feet. Wow. And if you had a root system that thick, that healthy, how much carbon could you be sequestering? Yeah, and and the people who do carbon sequestration don't even know that root systems can and should go down that deep. That's how we have not pre- um, prepared people um, in the agricultural world to understand how plants actually grow in soil.
0: And in relation to you mentioned the example of the growing the field of corn and applying. Uh, was it four hundred and something pounds of of fertilizer? Lime and
1: gypsum, yeah.
0: Yeah. So in in that in that system, it is it possible to on that large scale, or how is it possible on that large scale to get the requirements back into the soil? Like, are we talking about huge amounts of compost to do this, or we're, and I know, prob- I,
1: we're probably only once. Apply just a bare dusting of the solid compost to the soil surface. It'll be in that first conversion year. Um, So in the springtime, we're going to put down a small amount of the compost, but uh, just a dusting on the surface of the soil. We'll till that in for the last time ever. We're going to till it in. But, you know, you don't have root systems to speak of in those soils or in that dirt and we really should call it dirt because it doesn't have the biological components or the organic matter. Um, So uh, we'll till that in, we'll plant the seeds, make sure that the seeds are covered with this really beneficial um, set of organisms. And so there's your compost extract going down in the furrow with your seed. So that seed, the instant it starts to germinate, it will be protected both in the root system and in the above ground part of this, of the system. So um, after that, we monitor how much that application of compost has altered the system and put down another application, but now a liquid application of the organisms in that that were in that compost as well. Um, And so Sometimes it only takes those two things and you're completely converted, everything's working the way it should. You can walk away. You all you want to do is every once in a while, walk through the field and make certain that everything's working the way it's supposed to. The smells come in your noses, your visual, you know, there's no diseases, there's no pests, there's no problems. Um, if you see a place where disease is starting, then you want to go there and figure out what's wrong in the soil and fix that problem right there and make certain that that disease doesn't have a chance to spread. So we may have to put in two or three applications of that um, good biology from your compost. Of course, we're not uh, out there putting on gallons and gallons and gallons. We're out there putting on, you know, uh, uh, a very small amount, just enough to bring that biology up to what it needs to be. So sometimes we have to go as far as four applications of that liquid. But if you've got spray equipment, um, you know, you can get hand pumps to spray that in the garden system. Well, if you're going to larger, you know, like you've got um, five to 10 acres, something like that, um, you're going to have a small cart that you can drive around and spray no problem when you're getting up into the hundreds of acres we have some clients that own um, 10,000 hectares um, so in I think pretty much every country in the world has got at least one or more people at that large scale that you know the, that we work with uh, we have whole countries coming to us to ask for um, us to come in and allow them to go um, organic. Uh, within one growing season. Wow. So it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge uh, job. Um, we sometimes run out of starting materials because everyone starts making compost. And we teach you what are the percentages of the high nitrogen, the greens, and the woodies, those components. And it's always set somewhere around 10% high nitrogen material. Um, so legumes, for example. In uh, greens, those are the not um, nitrogen-fixing green plants. You can dry down your green plants as long as you do it quickly. Um, you'll wet the, that material up and all those good um, um, or uh, nutrients are still present. They're intact in that green material. And then you want truly woody material where the plant removed the nutrients from that plant tissue before you chop that tree down, before those leaves fell from the um, trees, uh, bushes, shrubs. So that's all you need for starting materials. I like to say to people that we're, we're not putting waste into these compost piles. We want you to know exactly what's been going on with all these food resources. And that's what they should be called just because no one ate it for breakfast know, there was that leftover and no, yeah, everyone was, uh, you know, yeah. a, you know more than full. What are you going to do with it? Well, stick it in the freezer. And then when you're ne- making your next compost pile, you can thaw that, break it up. It's real easy to break it up when, once it's frozen. And now all of that food that you didn't use can be used in the compost pile to grow the microorganisms that you need. To grow that next breakfast and around and around the nutrients go. So don't think of things as wastes unless they've gone anaerobic. Mm-hmm. Once they've gone anaerobic, boy, it's hard to use them in a, a compost pile because you've got to overcome all the negative toxic materials that were produced under those anaerobic conditions.
0: Wow. Um, speaking of from an irish perspective i don't know if you've ever been to ireland you have yeah 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 uh, didn't um,
1: last long it was one of those quick flying trips where I came in and talked to a whole set of people about you know I, I got to the some of the public buildings downtown and the airport i know the airport <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so i suppose my ireland is it's it's a very green country and it's predominantly predominantly grass uh, um and our dairy industry is huge here, and I suppose the dairy output has increased substantially over the last number of years. In, in a scenario like that, you have obviously a large herd of cows placing high demands on the, on the grass that's there, then large amounts of, of nitrogen going out to give even more grass for the cows, and so the cycle go, continues in a In a scenario like that where somebody has grassland high demand on on cows, maybe, is it possible for if the soil food web is working correctly to provide enough grass, or is it really a case that this farm is overstocked with cows in the first place? Uh,
1: yeah um the part of the problem is they've destroyed all that biology in the soil, the you know toxic chemical approach to growing. Um, grass and pastures uh, means the productivity of that, those fields has decreased significantly in the last 20 to 30 years you know, so right at first things look really good you you put out just a little bit of nitrate fertilizer and everything grows better. but you've killed some of the organisms in the soil every time you till you kill the organisms in the soil. So how much of how much resowing? Of the pastures has have ha- has happened, so we've worked. I've worked with um, large numbers of um, dairy people in Australia in the heartland of Australia, the area around Melbourne. Camperdown Compost is the company I've worked with most there. Um, New Zealand, we've done the same thing: go in and assess their soils and show them that they don't have any decent biology. Um, it's why they have problems growing the grass. And you think of grass and it should be nice uniform sward. Well, you've got these little patches of ugly kind of that bluish green color. That's urine. That's a urine patch. Well, how can that urine, which is a source of nitrogen, how can it be destroying the quality of the um, of the grass? Because the, the um, animals won't touch that grass. So why are we seeing this conversion into a system that can't manage to keep everything healthy? Because the organisms that do those jobs are gone. And so if we come along and we start putting on uh, just compost extracts, um, compost teas, just the liquid part, um, we can, within one growing season, we save um, a 300 acre farm. So what is that? You know, it's like a hundred hectare farm. Um, we can reduce the cost because they're not no longer paying for the inorganic fertilizers. They're not paying for the pesticides. They're not paying to take care of the weeds because the weeds don't grow. That was one of the overarching principles I forgot to talk about. So uh, uh, don't have weeds anymore. And the nutrition in that grass is much, much higher. We've doubled or tripled the concentration of all of the nutrients. And so the animals are, what they're eating is fulfilling all of their nutritional requirements. And so you have much healthier animals. You don't have to have as much grassland per animal because the food you're feeding them from those areas is so much better. So you can enlarge the the herd. You don't have problems at calving. We don't We don't recommend that you put in manure lagoons at all because talk about an anaerobic, stinky, smelly place. You are uh, promoting diseases and problems. Oh, well, the, the disease and problems will just stay at the lagoon. No, they won't. Have, have those um, chemical guys never heard of the, this little uh, organism called flies? They're transmitting all of that disease every place they go. They land on the surface of your lagoon. They go off and they land on the leaves of your plants out in the field. And now you've got the disease out in your field. If we get rid of that that process, don't let all of that stuff sit stagnant in a, a pool, um, we want to instantly um, take all of that waste, all of that, well, it is waste material because it's anaerobic, but it's still good, healthy waste material. Get it aerobic as rapidly as possible in the compost piles. So instead of making a, man- a manure lagoon, you're going to make a compost system where, very shortly, given the amount of output of manure, Pretty rapidly, you're going to want to get your neighbors over here and they buy the compost from you. And now you have another source of income because you're selling to all of the gardeners, um, all of the landscape places that need that compost to maintain the biology. But it's, you know, we say we save people, um, dairies, two hundred thousand dollars. Where they're not paying for the man, for the um, manure lagoon, they're not paying for uh, the inorganic fertilizers, they're not paying for the pesticides, they're not paying for the herbicide. How could you not want to follow this um, direction that we're going with uh, agriculture?
0: Well, and and how you're saying to remove the from essentially the slurry lagoons is what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. you're saying remove that and, and turn it into compost. How, yep. because that's that's one, one element, which is not high nitrogen, but how are you turning that into compost when it's effectively liquid?
1: Um, you want to, because most people wash out the, the um, we we call it the milking barn. Yep. Um, uh, you're going to wash that out. You're going to run it through a separator because you okay. want to separate the liquid from the solid material so the solid goes in as high nitrogen a manure is high nitrogen as long as you've treated it properly Uh, the liquid material we're going to use that to wet up that pile of compost during the time before it starts to actually truly compost as soon as it passes 131 or 55 degrees celsius um, now it's composting. We won't use any of the, the liquid on that anymore, but we don't have that much liquid that it's, that it is more than what the um, compost piles need when they first get started.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's absolutely incredible, really. Um, you could, as as you said, before we started recording, you could talk for days on this and, and you still you still wouldn't get to the end of it it in one way it's so sophisticated you know how that plant system how the soilful web is talking communicating it that like that element of it is so sophisticated and on the other hand to i suppose bring it into fruition is quite simple and it really does seem to make sense to me anyway um i suppose Hopefully, the message starts to spread. I think I think there is definitely an awareness, a growing awareness of the importance of soil uh, that I think is hugely popular. Um, is there anything that we've kind of missed? Any real gold nugget that we? Well, I'm sure we've missed loads, but is there any any one thing that you would you know, s- suggest the people to take away and use in their gardens? Um,
1: start making compost that has all the beneficial organisms in it um so you know it's like maybe the the whole village can't go and get the um information from our foundation classes you know maybe two or three people kind of the leaders who want to um, manage this they take the classes and then they can explain it to everybody else in the terms that they understand mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's always fun to go to different English speaking parts of the world and realize just how different terms are in yeah. those different places. So um, it's uh, in the local vernacular, at the yes. level of information that the people in the town, in the village, in the place, you know, the farmers, um, so they can understand it uh, and not get lost in jargon. Yeah. I always think I'm really good at not using jargon Ha <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: well it's it's very easy to understand uh, while I said the microbiology element of it I wouldn't understand I, I certainly can understand and relate to and I can see why what you're talking about makes sense uh, I think that's that's the important thing is that it, it, it clearly does make sense and uh, it's been fascinating I, as I said I've watched and seen your work for a while now and uh fascinates me and uh, can see the benefit in it uh I'm, you're not hard to find online but maybe tell people where they can find you if they're if they're looking to you know read more about it as uh, maybe take some of your courses and whatnot
1: yep so um our website is um soil food and it's like if you want to get hold of any particular person at the um, Soil Food Web School. Uh, all you have to do is put their name in first. So elaine at soilfoodweb.com. And okay. you can get through to individual people. Um, and we have lots of people that answer phone calls, that answer uh, the emails. We would prefer for it to be online if you possibly can. Because uh, the build for uh, a phone call from Ireland to Oregon it's gonna be a little painful so i encourage the use of the uh, virtual equipment that we've got these days so yeah, um, for sure
0: and it's definitely it's definitely well worth checking out uh, as i say a fascinating topic we've talked for a little bit longer than we, we thought we might uh, but it's it's fascinating uh the work that you're doing is phenomenal and uh it really is. It does seem to be gaining traction all around the world, uh, obviously in gardening terms, but also in, in agriculture terms. And I think it is hugely important uh, for loads of different reasons. It's hugely important for for mankind that we do start to make these changes that are necessary. So, Elaine, it's, as I say, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you Uh the knowledge is unreal and maybe sometime we'll delve even deeper and thank you very very much for coming on master my garden podcast
1: okay and anytime you want to invite me to ireland again
0: absolutely I, i'm more than ready to open. come <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, put together some talks for me to cover expenses so that would be the that would be the best of all
0: yeah for sure yeah uh, as i say br- brilliant chat and, and thank you very much for coming on master my garden podcast
1: Thanks for having me
0: so that's been this week's episode a huge thanks to elaine um i I'm gonna to listen to this episode obviously when I'm editing it but it's one that I gotta listen back to two or three times because i I definitely think there's so much important stuff in here and complicated on one hand but on the other hand really really simple and I think it's it's information that we all need to start taking in and and you know assimilating it down to everybody else because there is no doubt that we're not doing things right in an overall sense. And I think we do need to, you know, need to start addressing that. And uh, yeah, definitely check out Elaine's website. All of the, you know, all of the little cartoon type videos that she mentioned are really, really good. to give you a good understanding of what's actually happening underneath our feet. And uh, it really is a very complex world that's going on down there. And while we I suppose, always think that we know best. Sometimes we don't. And in this case, it looks like we don't. And if we just leave things to work the way that we're supposed to work, then everything else falls into place. So it's uh, really entertaining, really enlightening. And uh, that's been this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, happy gardening. <laughs>